feel a bit stressy and the world gets a bit overwhelming and the news agenda is doom and gloom, if you're trying to run your own business, particularly as a freelancer, somebody self-employed, just a solopreneur, it's very easy to feel that everything's kind of out of control. So I've got someone who will give you some fabulous insights, tips and inspiration, which involve, if you like, controlling the controllables. This is Make It Real and I'm your host, Trisha Lewis. My guest today is Sarah Townsend, copywriter and speaker and absolutely best-selling author of Survival Skills for Freelancers and more recently The Little Book of Confusables. She's also very much a mental health advocate so let's all breathe and get some calmness as we listen to this conversation. Hello Tricia, it's so lovely to be here after all this time. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's good. It's almost like we're in the same room. So listen, um, in a minute, we're going to delve into, we've sort of picked out, in your book, you do this brilliant thing. Uh, the chapters are kind of set out with eight myths that you bust about being freelance, uh, going freelance, you know, all of that stuff, which and we've sort of picked three that we're going to delve into. Um, but before we get to that, obviously, uh, every, everyone out there as a human, potentially thinking about becoming freelance or is just freelance or has been for a while will have had a journey that got them to that stage and it might have been suddenly one day waking up and running away from somewhere they've been working with for years it might be that they've always been inclined to be doing their own sort of little portfolio career things we all come from different places so um it's good to know a little bit about your story um so I, I mean you don't have to tell us when you were born and the school you went to and everything Sarah, but <laughs> give us out a, of the 60s Trisha <laughs> give us a bit um yeah so a little potted history is I left school after doing A-levels didn't want to go to uni went and did an admin job for a financial services company um did various admin jobs for two financial services companies over the over a period of about five, six years, really enjoyed doing that. But while I was at the second financial services company, their marketing department relocated up to Cheltenham from London. And I just always had an idea that marketing might be something that might suit me. So I applied for a job kind of really knowing very little about what marketing actually was. Um, But I kind of fell into that and really felt like I'd found my niche worked my way up to becoming a section leader um, in about three years and really enjoyed it but I was working with a publishing agency down in Bristol who used to publish our customer magazine which went out to about a quarter of a million people in print would you believe and um yeah i uh, the the opportunity came to take voluntary redundancy because they were making a third of the marketing department redundant i decided to go for it because they were offering very generous payouts and i wasn't particularly well off at that time and i approached the publishing company in bristol 
asked if they would take me on, which they did. I worked there for three years, became pregnant, and then decided I no longer wanted to work full time when I had a little baby. And my, um, my man managing editor um, suggested that I should go freelance as kind of a solution to wanting to work part time. And um, yeah, the rest is history, <laughs> literally. So I kind of found myself 21 years ago with a brand new baby and knowing nothing about parenting and a brand new business and knowing nothing about running a business. Helps if you unmute yourself, Tricia. Right, that, that, <laughs> that story um, is, there must be a lot, that must be a tipping point actually for quite a lot of people. You will have had conversations that, that, that the having a baby thing must be, yeah, obviously, obviously for guys as well. I mean, that could be for uh, guys. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. just becoming yeah. a parent. So um, you, you become suddenly very conscious of time and, and how to use it and priorities and all the rest of it. But you, but you then went on, you, I, love, I love your little Amazon author profile. You say you've got two well-behaved kids. Uh, so you had another kid, so you got two of the, and two badly behaved cats. Uh, so yeah. from stage they entered the scene. Um, you've also, you know, uh, been a single parent for uh, a period of this time. So, you know, this is oh, real life. Years. Yeah, yeah, 12 or 13 years of my 20 odd year journey as a freelancer, I've been a single parent. So yeah, I, I've done the juggling thing big time. Yeah. And to begin with, I guess, kind of working without distractions was easier because there was no social media and no internet. But at the same time, reaching out, building your network, finding clients, learning new things and developing as an individual and as a business owner, way harder without the internet. Do so you know, yeah. That's, uh, duh. I hadn't even clicked, of course, 20 years ago. Yeah. What a different world. Because you look so young, Sarah, I'm just, I'm just like I'm not able to take this in logically with my numbers. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you were in a very different world. Actually, do you I do think some of us are beginning to be a bit nostalgic about that because, I mean, I, how did you, here's a question. How did you get work? How did you get clients? in the days before social media? I used to write out physical letters. I mean, I always used to think, oh God, you know, I can't do sales. And you mentioned earlier Jules, Jules White. And I, I, I've spoken on her podcast and I've also read her book recently. And it's a book for people who don't do sales. It would have been perfect for me at the start of my business journey. But um, I, I had to do sales. I had to um, cold approach local businesses and offer my, at the time, proofreading and editing services. And I guess my business just developed from there. I, I kind of got some very good contacts very early on in the process. And um, basically during that time, I, um, I suppose through working for those local businesses, I would um, find that I was being recommended by those people after I'd worked for them. So I guess it was a much slower process of building my network, but it was quality, not quantity. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I had letter headed paper. I used <laughs> to, um, I used to send out the 
yeah, send out these cold approach letters to people who were local business owners and marketing managers and this sort of thing. And I, I guess I just struck gold quite early. I did say, um, I did say somewhere in the book something about this with, um, or maybe it was in a blog post, I forget, but about how um, being kind of authentic meant that Yes, it was a bit of a scattergun approach, but the people who did um, connect with me, I, I made it kind of, I made like a pact in my mind that I wanted to take my business seriously quite early on. And um, I, I wasn't kind of just going out there and going, oh yeah, you know, do you need, do you need a bit of proofreading? I could do that for you. I, I committed to having a logo designed and I had a business card, a, a business card design, I had business cards, comp slips, letterhead, all printed with my brand before I even knew what a brand was. Um, and yeah, I kind of took it seriously. And the people who I guess were the right fit with my business did the same thing. So really from a very early stage, I adopted that mindset for success, which is something that I cover in another of the chapters in the book. But yeah. We're not going to talk about specifically today, yeah. but um, it is it is a really important thing to do rather than just kind of going, oh, well, you know, I'm just doing it for a bit of money on the side. Because at the time I was still married. My husband at the time had a full time steady job with a reasonable income. So the pressure was off um, in terms of I didn't have to earn a certain minimum salary or anything like this. I had to earn something, but also for, more than anything for my self-esteem, I had to earn because my self-esteem has always been so closely connected to if I'm in demand, you know, if I, if I'm busy yeah. with business. Um, and whenever I used to have quiet spells, I'd really, I'd really, my mental health would really take a, take a hit. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Tangents again. Sorry. No, no, no. I know it's very important actually. No, I like that. The mindset thing. And I, I'm like you, by the way, in that, in that instance of, yeah, the self-esteem thing, but I, I, that's really, that's yeah. really interesting. Cause that sort of, um, oh, well, if you're not doing that, it's just a hobby kind of thing. And the thing is that there's nothing wrong in that there's, you know, I don't like these definitions cause they always get us muddled up, but you know, one definition of a hobby is that it's something you really enjoy and that you choose to do. So ultimately that should also be a part of, that should be what, what is happening with your freelance um, world as well. So it's not like we're saying, you yeah. know, Oh, hobbies in that box and businesses in this box. It's just, it, there is something about the, the taking it seriously mindset. And I think we all fall, uh, it's so easy to fall into that trap, especially in the early days of, oh, oh, well, yeah, I could do that for you. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, actually, that's one of the things. Why don't we go straight into that? The saying the saying no thing, because um, I, I think that is quite a big um, issue, shall we say? Yeah, I think. I think um, my mindset changed when I started to realize that, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy for me to say this now. I, I, I have for a long time now had more work than I can handle. So I get to be really choosy and I get to turn down a lot of work and I do turn down a lot of work. And the, the, the benefit of that is, is that I get to help other freelancers because I 
generally refer that work on to other people which is always a nice thing to do it's little deposits in the karma bank right um so that's that's a nice thing to do but um i would always take on any work that came my way whether it was suitable or not i would just go oh well it's work i should i should do it um and over the years i've learned that it is, you do, I think everybody experiences this feeling of you have a conversation with a client and there's just that niggling gut feeling, something you can't necessarily pinpoint, but you just know in your heart of hearts, it doesn't feel right. So that might be that that client doesn't share your values. It might be that they want to work in such a way that they are very much treating you as a supplier and them as the client. Whereas I prefer to work on a partnership sort of basis with my clients. So we're very much equals. Um, so it might be that they're quibbling with you over your cost and they're trying to batter you down on your quote, for example. So for whatever reason, you get that sense of something not being right. There is a chapter, I forget which one it is, I think five possibly, that goes into learning to tune into your gut instinct and trust it. Because for some reason, there's something about those projects that you don't feel quite right about up front you feel so much worse by the end of it because you know that you should have just listened to your gut. You should have said, look, um, this project isn't quite the right fit for me at the moment. However, um, I can recommend someone who might be a better fit. And then that kind of saves space for you. It also leaves you the possibility of walking away with your head held high because you've done nothing wrong by saying no. The client will respect you more for identifying the, there might be a little bit miffed that you haven't chosen to work with them but ultimately you're doing them a favor because you're recognizing up front that your businesses aren't the right fit for one another mm. so if you're offering them a solution to their problem you can find someone else within your network who you think oh well okay well this particular industry or this particular type of work is that person's speciality you can actually solve their problem by saying, look, I'm going to introduce you to this person over to you kind of thing. And then they're going to kind of be left with that. Okay, well, we didn't work together, but she did a good thing or he did a good thing. Um, and yeah, I just think you free up so much, not just time, but crucially headspace and energy when you turn down the wrong work. Because when you take on something against your better judgment it's incredible just how much of your energy and headspace that zaps mm. it's kind of like it's always there and you've always got yeah. this pressure and you're always thinking oh god you know i've got to get around to emailing that client back and i really don't know what to say or it it, it is disproportionate the amount of time that that client takes up is disproportionate to, to what it should be absolutely so, yeah, that's such that is such solid advice, and I've I've been through that exact experience, and um, and I'm now working with. I, I didn't even think that I I would ever actually work with organisations or companies. I thought all of my work would be one to one because that kind of felt to me okay. me. Um, but but then I sort of fell into working with a with a company, but it still feels like one-to-one. -one. And that's because of this, like you said, we're, we're, we're in it together. This, you know, yeah. it, I have a really 
a real feeling of respect coming back from this. They're asking me about things and how should we do this? And we, you know, use the we word a lot. That's, that's always a good sign, isn't it? And, and you're so right because I've had the other experience as well. And it does, it takes up, you're going to bed thinking about it. You're waking up thinking about it. And no way is the, is the income um, making any sense for the amount of hours? Yeah. Good advice. No, it's not good for your mental well-being. I I, I genuinely think kind of when you're self-employed, your like your time, your energy, um, those are they're they're limited resources, and you really have to guard them wisely. So yeah, you have to be responsible. Nobody else can make those decisions for you. You have to be responsible for that. So what I suppose I suppose the the question that comes back um, from listeners might be, especially if they're having a bad week or a bad month. And let's face it, you know, this is a very very challenging time to put it mildly. I suppose that, that there might be people saying, oh, that's all very well. I mean, you did start off by saying you realise you built your business and you are in a good position. And of course, that, that, yeah. that, is, that is one of the things that happens. But in those early days, you know, what, what advice do you give then to somebody who said, but I have to take this job. I literally cannot pay my rent or my mortgage or my office space or whatever it is, um, you know, if, if I don't take on this job. No, I don't particularly want mm. it, but mm. it's money. Ugh. Is, there, is there anything that, well, is, huh, what can you do, Sarah? Yeah, well, that is a really difficult one. And and obviously, it's a no-brainer. If you have to take the work because you can't pay your rent or your mortgage, if you don't take the work on, then you have no choice. That's It's a really difficult situation to be in. But you may have to wait until a little further down the line when you are in a more luxurious position you do have more work coming in but ideally when you want to be um when you're working on a project you want to come out of that project with a glowing testimonial and a recommendation and referrals from that client you're not going to get that if you're working for the wrong people you also want to feel that your job is conducive to really positive feelings of um, self-esteem and self-belief and again if you're working on projects that don't feel right you're not going to get that you're going to think oh god you know that this is where imposter syndrome kicks in and that self-doubt and that you know oh what am I even doing this for I'm not very good at this and it's not about you it's about them and it's about how that client and that experience of working with that client is making you feel so Yes, of course, if you have to take the work, take the work. If you're in any doubt and you do have enough work to tide you over, trust the universe. I know it sounds totally woo, but the number of times I've walked away from the wrong job and thought, oh God, you know, should I have done that? And, uh, and I've, the, the self-doubt's kicked in. But one of the things I often recommend in terms of dealing with quiet times is to take the, this is a slight tangent, but um, I hope you'll forgive me. Um, It's to take the fear away from the lack of work and have, keep kind of a side list somewhere of productive and practical things that you want to do to work on your business while you're quiet. And the great thing about that is that you then see these quiet times as a bit of a gift. I mean, provided you've got enough work coming in to to tide you over, to keep things ticking on. If you've still got quiet slots, 
move over to the things that are on this list. It might be working on your website. It might be creating a new landing page, building up some social media content, teaching yourself Canva or another graphics kind of package, um, learning new skills, catching up on podcasts, reading books that are going to teach you lots of good things. And as soon as you start doing that productive and proactive activity, it's incredible. It's almost like something kind of clicks and you're focused on being productive and proactive and practical and all the, all the PRs apparently. Um, and, and, and then once you start being positive and you keep being positive about those quiet spells, the work will start to flow back in. I know that sounds woo, but no, it, no, no, it, it doesn't over 20 odd years. Absolutely, absolutely. With that experience, you you totally know what you're talking about, and I'm really glad you took that tangent because I, I that is um, that will resonate with with everyone. To be honest, that I, it, I mean, I like you. I've got kids. Mine are incredibly large and huge and old now, but <laughs> still, they sometimes need advice. Okay, <laughs> of course they do. So, um, and it's it's kind of quite documented out there on LinkedIn that I've, uh, there was quite a traumatic journey I've just been on with my uh, daughter, who was kind of stuck in the Philippines um, with with her two year old. Anyway, the point being that I had to the the way that I helped her was to stick to the practical you know i mean she's highly intelligent very brave she's got so much but she was in a very very traumatic situation and obviously i could feel her tipping over into a place where she would be emotionally kind of unable to do anything because it was and so although i felt emotional about obviously the situation i knew instinctively because i've done it myself in more recent times don't get me wrong i wasn't any good at this when i was younger but in more recent times you know okay take a deep breath what can i actually have some control over what can i actually do because you're so right to say that the the fear I love that. Take the fear away from the lack of work, you know, because it absolutely fear is such a primal, overwhelming, flooding feeling. Once you let it get a hold of you, you become useless at, at doing anything and days go by, you achieve nothing. So then as you, then your self-esteem goes right down the plug absolutely. hole and, and on it goes into a, into a sort of horrible spiral. Whereas just making that list um, is, it is an act of I've got some control over this, you know, and ticking those things off. And yeah, sure enough, you know, we did that. We did that. Things worked out. I mean, it's still a long journey to go on, but the same thing when she got back here, she, you know, her passport wasn't back with her and a thing, 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 thing. Oh my God, mom. Oh my God. I did. I said, right, let's make a list, get a piece of paper. This is over the phone. <laughs> so it, it, it absolutely is, is the way forward. And it, and often when you're feeling really low and beating yourself up, you don't do these practical things because your brain somehow tells you not to bother and you just bleh. <laughs> I think it's 
that's like I think it's like those practical things that we can pinpoint fall through the holes I think when we're feeling down or anxious or depressed I think you just lose sight of those practical coping strategies and I'm glad you said about the things that you can control I, I quite often quote that that um control the controllables and I'm I'm quoting it as often at myself as anybody else because I'm the world's worst for doing this I am um naturally very um I'm like a bit of an empath I really struggle with watching the news I I can't um I don't get a newspaper I don't watch the news the only news um I can take is um the, the, the exception was watching the BBC when the Biden news was um it was uh, released and um and i enjoyed that because it was so positive but um generally speaking the only news i can handle is the bbc news alerts that pop up on your phone and and that's it because otherwise i just get overwhelmed with all the angst and all the despair in the world so i have to very much focus on my own environment and controlling the things that i can do something about it is a big scary world out there from time to time there's a lot going on that we can do nothing about but the one thing that we can do is be our best it sounds trite doesn't it but kind of be your best you within your own little universe so make conscious choices about things like um about the environment and um ethical choices and that sort of thing you can't influence other people to do the same necessarily um although funnily enough i'm actually speaking on a panel about precisely that at a, at a um, an online conference next week um so perhaps i can influence other people <laughs> but i think it's just really important to just keep sight um keep sight of um what you can do yeah. and what you can't do yeah yeah and and especially if you've got a young family around you you know you, you honestly i bet people really beat themselves up about oh god i'm not getting enough done and oh i'm this is useless how can i be a proper business person when i'm you know clearing up sick or whatever whatever but you know it's it's it, it, yeah. it control controllable and write those lists and find those times and um, and it's easier said than done because it's so easy to get swamped by sort of emotional responses to everything. You're so right. And I, I too, am a bit of one of those empathy people. So um, <laughs> let's, let's move on just finally to, because we've, we've sort of touched on, um, on fear there. And, and I think, you know, fear of failure is obviously going to be right in there with, with freelancers. Uh, by the way, I keep using the word freelancers, and I meant to say right at the beginning, freelancer, self-employed, what, what is the actual difference? Um, well, I think a lot of it is to do with semantics and perception, because there are certain areas like certain industries the creative industries for example people would tend to consider themselves to be freelance you get freelance web designers freelance illustrators graphic designers photographers copywriters editors whereas in other industries people would benefit from the same advice in the book but they might consider themselves to be a, um, a contractor or um, a consultant or an entrepreneur or a self-employed person or one of those slightly uncomfortable blendy words like mumpreneur or solopreneur however you want to describe yourself it's something that i actually cover off very quickly early on in the book 
it's it's a question of terminology so i use the word freelancer because that's the circle and the community that i have already always worked in and that's how i how i identify myself but i also identify myself as a business owner so it's it's kind of just semantics it yeah. was just yeah. i didn't want to have a, a a really clumsy book title that was for <laughs> freelancers and consultants and coaches and self-employed people and solopreneurs um, but basically the advice applies to anybody who works for themselves yes, it would be very clumsy it would be incredibly and we do we do get into this issue um genuinely when we're writing our profiles and everything on social media you know you're so but small business owner. i'm a small well, i'm a coach i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a human <laughs> let me out anyway um we, that's a whole nother discussion Asking for help, We're, we'll end with this one because this is um, oh, this, is this, this, this whole, we talked about control. Well, this of mm. course segues beautifully to the asking for help because once you ask for help, you are in a land where perhaps you don't feel quite in control, Sarah. How does that all work? Yeah, so so um, full disclosure, I identify as um, a perfectionist control freak, which meant that for the first, at least the first 15 years of running my own business, I didn't ask for help for anything. I, I, I would always think, um, I used to consider asking for help to be a sign of weakness. And I've since discovered that it's really not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength so i've kind of flipped it on its head and i've realized that the more you can recognize so if you kind of start off with your your usual working week backtrack backtrack a little bit when you go um self-employed freelance <laughs> whatever you want to call it you generally do so because you've got a special skill that you want to share with the world and it can be quite soul destroying to get to the end of the week and look back and realize that actually you've only spent say 40% of your time doing the thing that you love and the rest of your time has been taken up with kind of the business end of self-employment. So you're doing your own admin, your own proposal documents, your own marketing, your own sales, you're being your own life coach, um, doing your own graphic design, doing your own proofreading, all your own social media management. There's a lot of peripheral stuff out there when we're self-employed. So it's, it's kind of a no-brainer that if you identify the tasks that A, you're not good at, B, you don't enjoy, and C, that don't make you money, importantly, as a business owner, if you can outsource those things to people who specialize in that area, what you're doing is something that might, a task that might take you say five hours might take a professional only an hour to do. So you're kind of going, oh, well, yeah, but I mean, my idea of working for myself is to make myself money. But what you're not necessarily realizing is that by putting those tasks out to someone who's a specialist, you are then building this team, like a super team of cheerleaders for your business. They're all people with these exceptional skills that are all empowering you to spend more of your own time doing the thing that you love. So as far as I'm concerned, outsourcing is not only the secret to um, business success 
it's also the one thing that creates more enjoyment from self-employment because mm. you're freeing up so much more time and headspace to focus on your secret source or the reason that you went self-employed in the first place. Um, yeah, so that's... that's uh, yes, and, and I'm just sitting here feeling that... Well, I don't feel quite as guilty about this as I would have done. I... I, I I have done, I am doing this more now, but I am like you, I, a little bit, I, is it, well, it's partly, I think it's partly a bit control freaky, um, fear of handing something over. When, when oh, your whole sure. brand is you, particularly, you, you, you know, that, that's it. You're living and breathing everything about your brand. So the, it, it is literally like saying, I'm going to cut a bit of me off and hand it to somebody and hope that they oh, can yeah. become, become me um, magically and just, uh, which of course you can't do. That's ridiculous. But you, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, that I think is absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think part of my what was holding me back for so many years was not that I just used to have this fear that people wouldn't do things my way. So my way, I, I, I knew back then that my way wasn't the best way. It was just, as you say, I had this kind of anxiety around the fact that my business was me. And for the record, for that very reason, I think there are certain tasks that we are better off doing ourselves. I think we can only, only we can do our own social media, for example. There are certain things that you can get help with, for example, coming up with perhaps a content strategy or a social media strategy or a plan, but the actual individual tweets and LinkedIn messages and Instagram posts, I believe should be you. Um, no one else can really, um, no one else can do those really personal things. For me, the biggest bane of my life is doing proposal documents. I, I have so much um, baggage around doing proposals. I don't know if it's because it's to do with money or if it's just the sheer amount of time they take. And I can't outsource them. And that just bugs the heck out of me. But there are so many things that I can positively outsource. For example doing my um my accounts so my VAT returns my self-assessment my payroll because i am a limited company um and also i have an it company so i i use all mac technology i've got two macs here and if anything used to go wrong with my laptop i'd spend i could easily spend half a day trying to tinker with it and going what's going on and it would drive me up the wall and i'd lose all my sense of calm i'd lose all my productivity i'd be whisked off task if i was working on a deadline tough i'd have to drop everything to try to fix my computer because without a computer I couldn't do the work. So now I pay an IT company, a retainer of something like 28 pounds a month. And anytime anything goes wrong with my equipment, I drop them a quick email, they remote in and they fix it and they'll fix it in minutes. Love it. So, you know, these are the sorts of tasks that you can usefully yeah, outsource. I I think there has to be, you're quite right. There are certain things that work, certain things that don't. For instance, I've, I've come across phoning places up and had one of these kind of virtu virtual receptionist type scenarios. And I'm thinking, oh, no, that doesn't work. That so doesn't work. When it's, when it's just somebody and it's their company, so, and mm. then you get that somebody that they've employed to answer the phones for them. I'm sorry, anyone out there who's doing it, 
but really think about what that what that does to somebody phoning in because it it's a massive barrier it really is it, it however polite that person is that it's like oh who am i talking to and they say oh can i take a message off or they're not available at the moment i'm thinking oh this is also false i hate and it's a huge barrier so anyone out there there we are that's my little tip um not wasting your money on virtual i, I don't get me wrong oh, yeah. any virtual receptions out there you have a very crucial place to play for certain organizations and companies yeah. and in, you know, even individuals when it's right. But think about that because it doesn't. And what else? Um, you're right about the social media and anybody who does social media out there. Nobody, Sarah or I are trying to say you're useless. We don't need you. Oh, God, definitely no. Need no you. Far we from definitely it. need your skills because you really understand how these platforms work. Mm -hmm. And to learn that for us is massively time consuming give you an example i'm trying to refresh my youtube channel because i really want to make it sing and and really and then i suddenly started looking into it and realizing <laughs> realizing about the seo thing and the analytics and realizing that although i didn't want it to be crammed full of keywords i'd basically written such quirky descriptions and titles for all my ruddy videos that not, not, not one google search would pick them up as being something useful <laughs> So, so actually, you've got to unpack, could, unpack it and start yeah, again. And I could hand that over to somebody. That I could hand yeah. that over. I said, look, ah, you know my style. It's obvious what my style is, but can you go through every single one of these videos and rewrite the head, the, the titles, and the descriptions so that they will be picked up, you know, better? Don't don't make them cold and thingy, but just bear these keywords in mind hand that over i spent an entire day yesterday you know sort of um rejigging my playlists and all that kind of thing to make them oh, wow. and and you're right and canva yes it's great when you learn how to do it but then of course the trouble is for us <laughs> slightly creative people we learn how to do it and then we spend way too much time doing stuff on there um yeah. and all the time that you're doing that you're not doing the thing that you are meant to be doing which is using yeah. money yeah. as well which makes money yeah 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 so using your gift yeah i mean it's it's a it's a really funny one isn't it because there is so much that we can usefully outsource do you know what i had a conversation with somebody the other day and i realized that one of the other things that i have outsourced for 20 odd years is my cleaning and it sounds ridiculous, but I've had a cleaner for 20 odd years. And for me, even when I got divorced, I was like, there's no way I am letting having a cleaner go. Because yes, it's, it's you know, it used to cost me 20 pounds a week or something like that. But I don't, I can't be, I, I am like a neat freak person. I'm really obsessive about a lot of things. And that makes me it, it, i need a really clean tidy environment i'm not like dirt phobic or anything like that i'm not very good at cleaning myself at all which is probably why i outsource but i have to have kind of a tidy environment um to 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 be my most productive and most focused self so i thought afterwards god yeah you know the fact that that for me i feel like having a cleaner is empowering me to be a business owner a successful business owner because it's freeing up the headspace and the time that it would otherwise take me to do it my cleaner's phenomenal she's like a she's like a, a force of nature she's so fast and so thorough and so good it would take me twice as long to do the cleaning and i would be so much less 
happy if I had to do it all myself. So it, there are different ways of looking at that outsourcing thing. I love that. So yeah, because you've blended because life isn't like in two boxes, you know, uh, personal life, thingy, thingy life, business life thingy. It's it work as a freelancer. There is very, you know, it's it's all in. Well, actually, for all of us, it it is all one thing. You can't separate it out. So of course, every moment you spend doing one thing, and especially if that thing affects your quality of thinking and your, you know, peace of mind and all the rest of it. it, 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 It's so that's great. The cleaning. I'd, I'd tell you, actually, uh, my youngest son who works in the city, he's here again in lockdown two, but he was here all of lockdown one, uh, working from, from home here. And as a special present, when he went back, he, um, it arrived, it was a complete surprise. We've got one of these things called um, Eufy, which is like one of those circular, looks like a little mini spaceship, Hoovers, um, that just, yes! It just remotely goes around everywhere. So jealous. Oh my God. It's life transforming. So I'm not a housework person. I I, I admire people who are so good at it and do it really well. It's just not, it's just not one of my skills. Um, But this is like, I no longer have to look and think, oh my God, this carpet really does need hoovering and then feel guilty about it and kind of get angsty about it all day. I just... I just turn Yuffie on and it's also become like a, you've got two cats. I, I've got Yuffie. It's like a little pet. Like a little pet. I wonder what my cats would make of it if I got oh, myself Oh, they, they might go on top of it and then you yeah, could do I some really like good videos. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I love that idea. Maybe I'll get, maybe I'll treat myself to one in Black Friday. <laughs> so good. Um, so there we go. You see, listeners, life, life, it includes hoovers and everything. And messy stuff. And, baby and work and thing and thing and thing. It's, it's, this is just the whole picture. And I, I need you now to wrap up, Sarah, by really, um, really telling people about the various research. You've got, because you've got a newsletter as well, haven't you? And where to people get in touch with you for the actual work that you do and obviously the book go for it okay so i think the easiest and most straightforward way to do this is if i direct people to my book landing page which is the bible skills for freelancers.com that has on it a link that is direct to amazon to purchase a copy of the book or to download a free sample if you prefer it links to my copywriting website. It probably doesn't link to my website, to my newsletter sign up, but that is on the homepage of my copywriting website if anybody wants to sign up. And it also has my social media links. Um, if I'm most active on Twitter and LinkedIn, and if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, can I just ask that you drop me a little note and say that you heard my conversation with Trisha, just so I know where you've come from. And um, I'm far more likely to accept your connection request because it's great to build your network, right? I love it. I love I love that. Yes, I love that Trisha sent me. There we go. <laughs> I, I actually said that to someone recently because exactly this had happened the other way around. So I put in the connection thing. I said, Janine sent me, you know, that's like knock three times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to know. It's nice to know how people have found you and um, makes it more personal. So, oh, what a lot of valuable 
resource that is that is just amazing i mean we could have gone on i mean that that we just oh, dipped yeah. into three of the, we dipped into three of the chapters of sarah's but there are eight chapters plus other bits as well around that and they go into much more detail it's 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 an absolute genius um book i'm obviously saying this Sarah, so that um you can uh, tell everybody what a genius book mine is when it comes out in much no no <laughs> we're all we're all geniuses oh my god and so are you listeners um and you hopefully will feel upbeat about this and get those practical lists out when you're feeling feeling the fear i think that's that's a big takeaway and um and 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 yeah and karma karma happens it definitely does when you trust your instinct i mean there's there's no question yeah oh sarah this was delightful i'm gonna let you get on with the rest of your day now but We'll be, we'll be popping up in each other's worlds um, anyway, but thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Of course, at the foundation of any of these tips and insights and motivations is you being your unsquashed self. If you want to find out more about my unsquashing project, go to trishalewis.com. Com, where all the links are to my TEDx talk, my book, and also you'll find a link to all the other episodes of this podcast. Please subscribe on your favourite platform or subscribe to my fortnightly email to be kept in touch with all sorts of unsquasher tips.